How are we doing, Grace? Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, you guys got the second string guy today, okay? So I'm here, all right? Uh, Zach is, he's, he's out this week, and uh, looking forward to jumping back into our series, Dumb Things Smart People Believe. Just want to give a real quick update. So last week, uh, Zach had mentioned uh, the four orphans that um, were playing with rocks, and, and they threw one, and it hit a landmine, and uh, they were in the hospital. Just want to give a quick update. Uh, praise God, three out of four of them have actually been released from the hospital, and so that's great. And then the fourth one, who's in a little more critical condition, um, he is, it's looking like he's going to be released within the next day or two. And so thank you guys for praying, all that you guys are doing. I would ask if you can to please continue to pray um, to those Orphans, they come from a Christian home, the other two do not. And so, man, we pray maybe through this that uh, God can use our missionaries that are over there and what they're doing um, to, again, to share the gospel with them, and they may come to know Jesus through this, all right? Um, hey, I just want to give a quick update real quick. So it's been a couple months that I've been able to speak on a Sunday morning, and uh, so just want to go ahead and, and give you guys kind of what God has been doing in Fuse. Uh, I, I serve there as a student pastor, and uh, man, God's been doing some awesome things in 2020. Uh, this year, just real quickly, I want to give you guys these. Uh, we've actually had six students who have given their life to Jesus, so that is extremely, extremely exciting. Uh, that's why we do what we do. Yeah, we can clap about that. Um, out of those uh, six students, if you guys saw a couple weeks ago, we had three of them that actually followed the Lord in believer's baptism. So that's another big step uh, in their relationship with God. And uh, yeah, and, and lastly, man, God has been some amazing things since really we've come back from the coronavirus. And uh, last week we had 70 students here that uh, were able to come, right, hang out their friends, but most importantly, hear a message that's directed at them uh, about how God loves them and how he wants to have a personal relationship with them. So God's doing some awesome things in Fuse, and I'm just, I'm excited about what God's doing through our students. And so just wanted to share that with you a little bit before we jump into our series this morning. Again, dumb things that smart people believe. You know, we've unpacked some things in this series uh, that are, are kind of, popular outside and even inside a lot of churches. Uh, one of those in the first week we looked at was, hey, follow your heart. Or Zach said it like this, just listen to your heart, right? And he kind of debunked how that's not something that we should do, right? The heart is desperately wicked and it does its own thing. We need to follow God. And then I think last week we talked about how many paths lead to God. And again, looked at that, exposed that, and saw how that was not true. You see, again, these different sayings, these misconceptions a lot of people have in their hearts and their minds, but we're finding out that they're, they're not true. And the same is true for this one we're going to look at this morning. In fact, I found this kind of shocking as I was studying this last week, that 80% of Americans actually believe this in their relationship with God, actually believe that this is found in the Bible somewhere. So a lot of people in America think this is a true say, uh, saying about Christianity or that it's a verse in the Bible somewhere. Um, and so we're going to kind of just talk about that this morning. And so what we're going to find out, though, is this. That as we look at what the Bible says, that is, what is the truth that God says about this question, this, or this saying, what we're going to find out is this, that the message that the Bible says, what is truth on this matter, it is going to be countercultural from what we've heard. So it's going to be, and obviously it's going to be different from what the culture says. And that saying that we're going to unpack this morning is this. God helps those who help themselves. Now, real quick, 
I did this first service. I want to do the second. How many of you have ever heard something like this before in your life? God helps those who help themselves. Okay, a lot of people have, right? I mean, a, a lot of people have heard that. Now, I want to say this before we really get to the main part of the message, just for a minute or two, okay? Um, sometimes this is stated to people who need to take action in their life. Like, they need to take action and do something, okay? And actually, Paul, he talks about this. He's talking to the church, uh, Thessalonica, and 2 Thessalonians 3.10. He actually says this. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. Notice, if anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat, okay? It's a truism for life, all right? Uh, we can't just think, hey, God's going to provide, and I can just be lazy and do nothing, right? Uh, that's, that's not at all what that means, okay? That's not all what, what we're saying by that, okay? God helps those who help himself. No, it's not in the Bible, but it is something that we can apply to our life. There is truth to it when it comes to some things in life. But I want to stop right here, and this is what we're going to mainly focus on this morning. But when it comes to the most important question in life, and it comes to the most important decision in life, God helps those who help themselves, is totally false. And we're going to just expose that this morning and, and kind of work through how. See, this statement, God helps those who helps themselves, it actually is from Aesop's fables. Aesop uh, was a, a Greek storyteller and wrote, you know, children's books and different things like that way back then, right, and stories. Uh, and Aesop, he wrote this story back in 564 B.C., and the storyteller Aesop, he says that there was this wagoneer, right, who had, who had been, uh, he was traveling across the country. And he got stuck in the mud. One of his wheels did. And so he does this, right? He, he tries to get it out, and he can't get it out. And so he gets on his knees, and he looks up to the false, okay, Greek god, Hercules, and he begs him, he cries, says, Hercules, please, will you come get this wagon wheel out? I'm stuck. I can't get out. Hercules appears, and in this story, notice what he says. Hercules says, get up, put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods help them that help themselves. And this is where that statement originates from. Not from the Bible, like 80% of Americans believe. You see, many people, they believe this when it comes to that most important decision, which is salvation, giving their life to Jesus, knowing that they're going to heaven, right? This dumb idea, it's so far off, especially when it comes to salvation according to what the Bible teaches us. You see, the thought, it's been influenced by many, many religions in the world that, hey, uh, if, if I do something right or if I do something good, then I'm good to go for heaven. Or, you know, I do something right and, and I'm a good moral person and then I also believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. See, there's a lot of religions that teach it's Jesus and. See, it's, it's me working, right? Me, me praying, right? Or me giving financially to the church or me being here on a Sunday morning, or me getting involved in the church, and me helping out the homeless, or, or helping out the elderly, helping out people in need. And then, yeah, plus Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. You see, they teach that it's working hard to get to heaven and Jesus. See, sadly, there are many religions that teach this false teaching as a doctrine and as truth in their churches. 
But church, we have to get this. This is not the truth. It is not Jesus plus, okay? It's Jesus and Jesus alone, nothing else. So we have to understand that we have to get that. So what we're going to be looking at this morning. It's not what other religions teach, right? It's what the Bible teaches. See, a key to this is when it comes to this most important question of eternal life and of salvation, this statement is in total opposition to what God's word teaches. See, the statement, God helps those who help themselves, when it comes to salvation, it's been popular throughout history. It's been popular even in the Bible days with a group of people called the Pharisees. If you've ever read the New Testament, you know that this would fit into what they live by. This was a model they lived by was, well, hey, if I'm righteous and I uphold these laws and I, I'm a, you know, a morally good person, all these things, you know, if, if I am righteous, then I'm good to go for heaven. I just have to keep these laws and I just have to keep being righteous. See, but Jesus, he actually exposes this false teaching in Luke 18, 9 to 14. Notice what it says. He also told this parable to some, now I want to stop right here and say this. It's obviously addressed to people who are trusting in righteousness, right? So check it out. He also told the, uh, this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men, Jesus speaking here, uh, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. That's what he says. God I thank you that I'm not like the other people. I'm not greedy. I'm not unrighteous. I'm not an adulterer, or I'm not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But here's the tax collector comes in. He's standing far off. He wouldn't even raise his eyes up to heaven. But he kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Notice what he says here. This one, talking about the tax collector, this is Jesus saying this, went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, Jesus, he says, the one who is justified by God, it's, it's not the guy that's relying on himself. It's not the guy that's trusting in his good things, in his, you know, in his money. It's not the guy that's saying, I'm not unrighteous. I'm not greedy. I'm not like these other people. It was the guy that said, I'm a sinner, God. I'm messed up. You see, the Pharisees, this religious group of elitists that were in the church, were known for only following rules. They were known for living righteously, but never having or desiring a personal relationship with Jesus. See, the Pharisees, they tried to uphold this set of, of rules and standard as a way to God, but the problem with it is this. That was not God's plan. That was not what God wanted for them. See, they were working hard at keeping this laws. They worked so hard at doing this that they were just relying on themselves. They were relying on their own power and their own strength, not on God. And they simply thought, God, I know you'll help me get to heaven, if I'm righteous and I keep these rules. See, we have to remember that every person is born with a void in our heart. Many, many people in different ways, they seek to fulfill this. Maybe by doing, let's say, religious things, like the Pharisees, right? Doing things like 
giving and being at church, all these other things. Right? They, they seek to fulfill that void by doing religious stuff. Or maybe they seek to fulfill it by, you know, by uh, relationships, seeking certain relationships or possessions or material things or money. Or maybe it's something they're passionate about, like a hobby in life. See, I think that we all probably get this, though. You can look at, across the world and see there's all kinds of people that have all those things. But there's still a huge void in their heart. See, David, he actually, he's probably the most popular king in the Old Testament, right? And he was known as this great, powerful king that, let me just say this, he had his failures, okay? He messed up. But he's also known as this. There's a tagline that always goes with David, and it's this, that he was a man after God's own heart, right? And so let's listen to what he really, he expresses this void. The man that pursued God, the man after God's own heart, he expresses this void and really his helplessness to fill this void and how it's not in him in Psalm 63.1. says this, God, you are, you're my God. I eagerly seek you. you can, it's like you can feel where David is at with this. He's longing for that. He says, I thirst for you. My body, it faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. You see, David, he expresses this void in his heart, this, this helplessness, and he, he turns to God alone to fill that void, realizing that there's nothing inside of David. There's no power inside of David. There's nothing inside of him that can fix this helplessness, this void. This is totally opposite from what we just heard about the Pharisees. See, we must seek God in our helplessness. See, maybe... Maybe you guys are like me, and uh, you've felt helpless before, okay? And so I just want to—I'm going to ask a couple questions here, real quick. All right? How many of you guys have lost your keys before? Or not lost your keys? Let's go back on that. How many of you guys have locked your keys in your car before? You've done that, okay? That's like a lot of people, okay? We're gonna—we're gonna do this again, okay? How many of you have locked your keys in your car three times or more? Okay, we're, we're getting down. We're thinning out here. Okay, awesome. How many of you have locked your keys in your car, let's say five times or more? Okay, awesome, awesome. First service only had three, so you guys beat them. All right, so that's good. All right, well, you guys will understand where I'm coming from, you four, okay? Because I've locked my keys in my car since Marissa and I have been married. I've locked it in my car six times now, okay? And I want to give you guys just a very helpless time that that happened. So it was a few years ago when I was still in Kansas, and I'm a big hunter. I like to do that. And uh, so I went out hunting one night, and I came back to my truck, and uh, it, was, it was really windy. Like, if you've ever been to Kansas be- before, you know that it's really windy, okay? Uh, so it was windy like normal, and I opened my door, and I took my keys, and I took my phone, don't know why, and I set them on my front seat, right? And I go to the back of my truck to put some stuff away, put the stuff away, close the tailgate, and as soon as I come, like, get on shutting the tailgate, come around the corner, a big gust of wind blows, and it slams my door shut, all right? Yeah, not good. My keys are in there. Like, my, my phone is in there. It's locked. And so I'm essentially helpless, right? I, there's nothing that I can do. And so, and again, another thing about Kansas, it's windy, and there's nobody that lives there, okay? I was out in the middle of nowhere, you know, deer hunting, country, nobody's around. I'm 10 miles from Gypsum, the closest town. 
And so I do, you know, I'm like, I'm helpless. There's nothing I can do unless I break a window in my truck, which I'm not going to do. And so I decide I got to start walking. And I finally found this farmer miles and miles down the road, super late at night that was awake. And that let me borrow his phone. And uh, I called Marissa. And in my helpless condition, I was like, hey, Marissa, um, lock, lock the keys in my car again. You know, and it's 1130 at night, right? Kids are, she's like, well, um, AJ, uh, the kids just fell asleep. So we got school tomorrow, Baylor, got to wake him up. Okay, all right. So needless to say, she wasn't too happy with me, right? Okay, all right. And so long story short, uh, she ends up, she comes and she picks me up. Awesome. I was totally helpless, was totally right, relying on Marissa. And I just want to say this real quick. Just want to step away from the message for a second. I did, I did the good husband thing, and I promised her on the phone. I said, hey, if you come get me, we'll go out to supper tomorrow night, all right? And we went out for supper, so we're good, right? Are we good, Marissa? Okay, all right, awesome. She didn't know about that, so okay. Great, great. So, uh, but we've all been in a you know, helpless situation, maybe similar to that, but in a much greater situation of being helpless, much, much greater, is really in really our sin and really this, how, how we have this relationship restored with Jesus. You see, we have to realize in our helpless desperation that we cannot help ourselves. The help, it's not in me, right? David expressed that in Psalm 63.1. The help was not in David. The help is in God. You see, we can't trust ourselves. Proverbs 28.26a actually tells us this. The one who trusts in himself is a fool. Okay, newsflash. What is it saying? If you trust in yourself, you're a fool. It's foolish, right? We don't have the answer. You see, if we can't trust ourselves, then what hope do we have? This void that's in our life that David expresses, if we cannot trust ourselves, how can we fill that God-shaped void in our life? Like, how can we do it in our own power? Be foolish. If we do. See, the Bible, it gives us the answer of how to do that. In Isaiah 25, 4, it says this, for you, this is, this is God speaking. He says, for you have been a stronghold for the poor person, a stronghold for the needy in his address, a refuge from the storms and a shade from the heat, when the breath of the violent is like a storm against a wall. See, what we have to understand is what this verse, it, it shares shares that God, he, he helps those, not who help themselves. God, he helps those who are utterly helpless. I mean, they are completely empty and helpless. And it's then that God wants us to fully rely on him. And we, we see this in scripture, right? Like multiple times throughout scripture. One of those times is when the disciples are with Jesus and they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee. And they're, they're making their way across and the Bible says that Jesus was asleep in the stern and he's out and this massive storm comes up, right? And it's, it's I mean, waves and, you know, wind and rain, everything. It's, it's crazy and they're so scared. They go up to Jesus, they, they grab Jesus, they say, Jesus, do you care that we're going to die? Like, do you care we're about to die? And it was in their total helpless condition Jesus does what? Calms the storm with three words. Peace, be still. See, God, he wants us to fully rely on him in our helpless condition. 
Just like the disciples, totally helpless, no help inside themselves. And so what do they do? They go to Jesus, and Jesus fixes the problem. Maybe you feel like sin's weighing in on you, weighing you down, and you have nowhere else to go. You feel completely hopeless and helpless in life, just like the disciples. And what a better day than today to turn to Jesus. You see, if Jesus wants us to fully rely on him in our helpless condition, the next question we need to look at really is, who does he consider helpless? All right? Who does he consider helpless? Everyone. And we know that because of what the Bible says in a couple of verses in Romans. Romans 3.23, it says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We're all sinners. We've messed up. We've fallen short of God's glory. We've separated ourselves because of sin and that relationship with God. Romans 5, 6 to 8. For while we were still helpless, there's that word, we're helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God, love this verse, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, in our helpless condition, we're exactly that. I mean, we're, we're helpless in our greatest need, which is to be rescued from sin, death, and eternal hell. And there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. See, we've all, we've all missed the mark, right? We, we get this going back to the Ten Commandments, right? Ten Commandments, a lot of people, a lot of churches believe that, hey, if you're a good person and you follow these rules and these laws, these Ten Commandments, um, then, then you're, you're probably good to go for heaven. You know, if you keep them all and you're a good person, you'll, you'll be good to go. But the problem is, is the Ten Commandments were never written for that reason. Right? They were written to show us that we cannot, we can't not sin. Like we, it's, it's in us. It's what we do best. Those Ten Commandments, man, they show us they expose our sinful heart. They show that we're sinners and guilty before a holy, perfect, and just God. In all of us, we've broken most, if not all of them, at least in our heart, showing that we are totally helpless with our sin, not knowing what to do with it. See, but this is the exact place that God wants you. This is the exact place that God wants us to be. This is where he steps in by giving his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. See, verse eight, he tells us that that's how he proved his love for us. And in uh, Romans 5, 8, <clears throat> said that that's how he proved his own love for us, by Jesus dying that miserable, terrible, painful death, shedding his blood so we could be forgiven of our sins. See, Christ's death, it's the solution to the problem of sin and death that we can't solve on our own, in our own power. It's tempting to think that maybe we can uphold the Ten Commandments and uphold living a certain way and uphold, you know, this, these certain laws, and then we can help ourselves to heaven. But that's not at all what the Bible teaches. You see, we cannot do anything inside of ourselves for salvation. The gospel story, man, it, it, it offends us, right? The gospel story offends us because the Ten Commandments tell us that we're gross, tells us that we're dirty, tells us that we're sinners, we're messed up. It exposes all of those things. 
But that's only the first half, right? That's only the first half of the gospel. The second half is this, that even though we're messed up, even though we sin, even though we're separated from God, God in his grace and his love and his mercy sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. You see, you have to come to the place that you understand there is nothing inside of you. There's, there's nothing that you can do to fix this condition. And at that point, Jesus wants you to look to him as his eternal hope. See, one of the greatest set of verses that talks about this free gift of salvation that anyone can accept is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says this, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. We're going to read that again, right? For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. See, if there was someone that, man, understood this, this verse more than anyone in the entire Bible understood God's grace and how it was a complete gift and there's nothing, no prerequisite, nothing he had to do to receive it. I believe it was the thief on the cross. See, just put yourself in his shoes for a little bit. Your sin exposed before an entire crowd of hundreds of people as you're beside the son of God, Jesus, who's dying for the sins of the world. And this this thief, everyone, they knew his sin. Everyone knows your sin, right? He's up there. Everyone knows his sin. He is totally helpless. They know exactly what he did. They know how he broke the law. And all they, they looked at him with was just disdain, just hate. There was nothing hidden. And he is the perfect example of someone who was totally helpless. See, somewhere as he's, he's you know, on the cross, in pain, hanging there, knowing he's probably minutes uh, away from death, maybe seconds, who knows? Like he's so close, he's at the brink of death. Something happens. A transition takes place where he sees himself as a sinner and he sees God, as, or it sees Jesus as the son of God, the one who would die and pay for, the, pay for his sins on that cross. But all, all that he says is this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, he recognizes Jesus as Lord and he believes that this man, Jesus, he believes that he came to save him. It's interesting. I mean, we, if we put ourselves in his shoes, I mean, if, if you were to come up here before everyone today and your sin was told, I mean, <clears throat> be totally exposed, man, that would be obviously embarrassing, be difficult to deal with. He looks at Jesus and he says those words. And then what does Jesus say to him? He says this, I love it. Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Other religions teach you have to be baptized to be saved, right? You have to believe in Jesus and be baptized. You have to believe in Jesus and be a moral person. You have to believe in Jesus and this. You have to believe in Jesus and do this. You have to believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus and give. You have to believe in Jesus 
and be at church on Sunday. The problem with it is, is the thief on the cross. Because the thief on the cross could not get off the cross to be baptized. He's hanging on the cross in a helpless condition. All he can do is trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to save him. There's no work that he can do. He can't get off the cross and go get baptized. He can't get off the cross and go apologize for stealing whatever he stole. He can't get off the cross and, and make right any wrong that he had. All he does is say, Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom. Jesus, I'm recognizing you as God. I'm trusting in you and you alone. That's it. In his helpless condition, he trusts in Jesus and Jesus alone, nothing else. See, the idea that God, he, he helps those that are hopeless and that are helpless, it's, it's all throughout the pages of the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Right? I mean, New Testament, another one is in, in John chapter 8. There's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. I mean, messed up. Terrible. And these Pharisees, again, they bring her before Jesus and they want to stone her. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, he, rec he rescues her as she's getting ready to be stoned, getting ready to face her death. And he says this, neither do I condemn you. Go on from now and do not sin anymore. Man, it's just another example of how God sent Jesus to save those that are helpless. If God did it then, he wants to do it now. I promise you that. So maybe you're worn out from trying and working to, to get to heaven. Or you're so worn out from trying to start this relationship with God. See, after what we've looked at today, my question to you is, is why? Why are you working so hard to get to heaven? Why do you think that it's still in good works Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we just read that, that it's, salvation's a free gift. There's no stipulation. It's a free gift that all we have to do is accept that gift. You feel completely exposed like that thief this morning. God, the Bible tells us, it says that he sees the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And he, he knows what we're thinking. He knows the sin and, and we are at all times totally exposed to God. But he still wants to have a relationship with you. Regardless of how you failed, he still wants to have that personal relationship with you. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it says that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. If that's you, you want to make that decision. And today, the Bible says that you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Dumb things smart people believe. God helps those who help themselves when it comes to salvation. What we actually find out this morning is this. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Nowhere else to turn, turn to God. So if this is you this morning, you, you get it. You feel helpless. You feel hopeless. You're sick and tired of trying to work to get to heaven. And, and it's, it's like it all made sense this morning. 
and you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to decide on Jesus, the Bible tells us we, we accept that free gift of salvation by this. We first, we admit that we are a sinner. According to those Ten Commandments, we've sinned and we've, we've separated ourselves from God. So we admit that we are a sinner. And the Bible says this, that we believe that Jesus, he died on the cross for our sins. And his blood was shed so we could fix that relationship between us and God, so we could be forgiven of that sin. We believe that Jesus, he died on the cross and he was buried three days and arose on that third day. And then we must ask him to come into our heart and to save us, forgive us of our sins. It's that simple. Admit, believe, and ask him to come into your heart. So if that's you this morning, I just want to say this. You want to make that decision today. They're going to come up, they're going to sing a song, and after that I'll be down up front if you want to talk to me about that decision. You see, when it comes to this most important thing in life, where you spend eternity, God helps those who cannot help themselves. Let's pray. God, thank you for the service this morning. God, thank you for working. God, and we thank you so much, God, for just the songs and God, how they get our hearts ready to hear the message of God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as, as believers to, to be able to take the truth of what's been shared out of God's word and, and be able to take that back to our coworkers, be able to take that to our family, Lord, those that are not believers, and we'd be able to share, God, what John 14, 6 says, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, God, that no one comes to Father except through you. God, and I pray for the, those in here that they've not made that decision to follow you. And God, they're relying on being a good person. They're relying on works. God, I pray that today a light was shed and they would make the decision, God, to give their life to you. God, they would see their sin and see they're helpless in that condition. And all they need to do is to turn to you and to trust in you and you alone as their Savior. God, we ask you to be with the rest of the service in Christ's name. Amen.